Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's up, everybody? Dr. Andrew Fix back for another episode here on The Code. And um, I'm being joined by a coworker of mine, a friend of mine, Dr. Nate Henry this morning. And uh, this is going to be an awesome interview for you guys, especially those of you who have ever been clients of ours or any other physical therapy practice for that matter that have experienced or you know been wondering about dry needling. Nate and I are going to get into dry needling a little bit on this episode. And um, for a little bit of a background before Nate introduces himself, Nate is a 20 plus year army vet. He, uh, he joined our team here at Physio Room less than a year ago, and he's actually heading up our new location down in Colorado Springs. And it's awesome that he's joining us on here because he actually has the opportunity to speak and educate across the country in a continuing education capacity and in a university setting uh, in the physical therapy realm. So uh, Dr. Nate, Thanks so much for joining me this morning, man. Hey, Andrew, this is, this is going to be fun, man. Get a, appreciate a chance to get to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and every time I get to talk to you, it's it's always great. But um, especially like when I feel like I have the opportunity to learn, whether it's from you or someone else, I always get really excited about it. So, sure. and I know this is an area that um, you know dry needling, something I've been doing for um, quite a while now. I think I got you know I got out of physical therapy school in. 2015 started dry needling in 2016 but i mean you have quite a bit more experience with it than myself with all your teaching and everything so i'm excited to get into this conversation nate will you do us a favor for all the people that are tuning in to listen to this first of all first of all really appreciate your guys's time tuning in here and uh, hanging out with us on the code uh we really hope we bring you some valuable content with this episode and all the episodes that we do but uh, Nate, will you share a little bit more about your background, sort of, you know, where you came from, you spent extensive time in the military, and um, how did you get into this, like, you know, physical therapy kind of educator uh, position that you're in? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I started off in the Army as a logistics officer, so I ran supplies for about seven years, and uh, that included a stint in Iraq where I managed food and water for over 25,000 soldiers. And uh, after I'd spent about six or seven years doing that, I, I'd had about all the fun I was going to have doing that. So I looked at some other options within the military and uh, the Army offers a physical therapy program for active duty folks. And uh, I started that program in 2007 and graduated in 2010. And I didn't know at the time, but when I applied to the program, it was actually a top five program in the country. So it's a fantastic education. After 2010, I kind of decided, man, I am done with this education thing. I mean, I I appreciate education. I really kind of pursue education, but mm -hmm. I do have to admit, I'm not all that good at it. I <laughs> just uh, the the kind of uh, concentration that is required to study and to pay attention to class. I just, I, honestly, I just really struggle with that. But yeah, somehow I've managed to be. Um, successful. It usually takes about twice the amount of time as some of my peers. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I ended up in uh, Georgia 
at Fort Benning, which is one of the largest training bases that we have uh, in the country. And I spent some time with uh, some airborne soldiers, with soldiers that were trying to become infantry officers and armor officers. So those are the guys in tanks. Um, I spent some time with the airborne school, people learning how to jump out of airplanes. And you mm -hmm. see all kinds of injuries in yeah, that uh, situation. We had we had uh, one of the uh, foremost ankle surgeons in the country there at Fort Benning. And I talked to him one time, he said, I'm never leaving Fort Benning. I'm like, why? This is a little podunk town. You could practice anywhere. He's like, I'm never going to see what I can see <laughs> at Fort Benning, Georgia, because we have airborne yeah. school there. We have ranger school there. We've got some officer training there. And he sees just complex cases, very interesting cases. He, he loves it. Anyway. Yeah. I spent some time training there and um, and practicing there and was able to treat soldiers everywhere from rangers to uh, basic trainees from, you know, essentially the most elite to some of the, we say couch to 5K yeah. uh, in the civilian world. It's, it's couch to basic training for a lot of these kids nowadays. And so I got a lot of experience doing that. Mm -hmm. In 2015, the Army sent me to... Uh, Florida. I actually had to apply for that job because it was with a special forces unit and uh, got to treat some more elite soldiers. And they wanted me to be the best trained that you could be out there. So they actually sent me for a one-year fellowship in manual therapy. And that's where my reintroduction to education was made. I, uh, again, not, not something that I typically pursue, but this one just kind of fell in my lap. And yeah, uh, that turned out to be one of the best experiences for my career, not only clinically, but also kind of business-wise, because I saw just how effective we can be if we've got just a little bit of extra training. Mm -hmm. After that, I kind of said, you know what, I'm done with school. I just want to go to Colorado <laughs> and uh, finish <laughs> up my time in the military. But the Army dangled one last carrot in front of me, and that was to go to West Point to earn a Doctor of Science degree, mm -hmm. a terminal degree that allows me to uh, become a professor, teach somewhere. But they also, at the same time, uh, put us through a sports fellowship program. So I'm one of the rare therapists that is, uh, I have two doctorate degrees. I've done two fellowships. Uh, it's kind of rare for anybody to have one fellowship, and I've done two of them. And I've done two board certifications. So this guy that isn't all that good at, at education, I'm, I'm, I'd have to say I'm ridiculously educated. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. of that is my fault and some of that is the Army's fault. But hopefully I can use that to the benefit of our patients and of our staff now at Physio Room. Yeah, totally, totally. Now, so you and I both spent a little bit of time in um, – in Georgia. Now you were there, I think a little bit before me, but that's actually where I did my orthopedic residency program. What, what part of Georgia is Fort Benning in? It's in Columbus, Georgia, about two hours south of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. 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 In Columbus. That, that sounds right on the Chattahoochee right. river, man. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I do love that dirty water. It was, it was, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, so, and it was 2010, right? You graduated from army Baylor PT yeah. program yep. and, um, yeah. So when you started, you know, sort of working as a physical therapist in, in that setting, what were some of the, I don't know if challenge is the right word, but like, what were some of the things that you saw in the world of physical therapy that, that you knew like had to change? 
right? Like, and you sure. continue to get more education. I, I know, um, without even asking you, I know the way that you practice has evolved from 2010 to 2022. So like, what were some of those things that, that you saw that you felt like needed to change in order for us to be more effective? And, um, and what are some of the major changes you've made over that like time span? Oh, early on. Well, one thing that I can appreciate was in physical therapy school, our program director, we were the first class that he did this to. He came in one day and he said, look, all of you need to be certified strength and conditioning specialists. Mm -hmm. So we, as a program, we're going to pay for your CSCS, right? From the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And probably about half of my classmates were pretty upset. I mean, I was excited. I, I got into physical therapy for exercise and but some of them were like, hey, I did that. This, this was not what I said. I didn't sign up to be a strength coach. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, when I got to Fort Benning and uh, got to the, my first clinic that I was working in, mm -hmm. I recognized pretty early that we were not challenging our patients enough. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There, there is some we, graded exercise is important. And deliberate progression and introduction to movement it needs to happen. But I've, I've seen this now over the past uh, six years that I've done continuing education. I teach about between 20 and 50 physical therapists every month in, in the continuing education setting. And it has surprised me how many are, they, they consult me about their case or they ask a little bit about what they should be doing with their patient. And I ask them what they're, and they're, you know, they're six, eight, 10, 12 visits into the program and they're still doing for rotator cuffs and little TheraBand, you know, external rotation exercise. I'm like, holy cow, guys, we need to understand exercise progression and load a lot better mm -hmm. and apply it to our patients a lot sooner. And of course, there's some exceptions to that. But for the majority of patients, that just, that needs to happen. And in yeah. our profession, we are way too slow to apply it. Yeah. So that's uh, in 2012, I was, I mean, I was introduced to CrossFit actually in 2006. 6 2007 when i was at fort lewis in washington i met the guy that opened the the eighth crossfit gym <laughs> and uh and then when i was in georgia i decided i should get my crossfit level one certification and yeah. uh, the guy teaching it was that guy that uh when, when my wife and i both earned our, our level one and here's the deal we can poo poo crossfit i mean lots of people there there are on occasion some gyms and some coaches that they they don't know what they're doing mm -hmm. but i will tell you this i've been to at least 30 gyms across the country and it has been the exception very few have been that i would say probably two that i went yeah. to out of those 30 where i'm like oh, i don't know this these people don't really understand but a majority of them are very 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 good and yeah. They're applying load to patients and they're scaling exercise. And in some cases, in fact, in many cases, they're doing it better than some of my colleagues in the physical therapy world. So that's uh, in 2012, when I took that course, I was like, yeah, we can be pushing our patients a little bit better. Yeah. And there's a little bit of uh, a conflict between CrossFit and the NSCA, but I feel like I've been able to to kind of massage those both into place in my practice mm -hmm. and, uh, and apply the principles from both, from both approaches. Yeah. I love that. And I love, you know, I think it's awesome that your program 
and the the you know instructors and professors and whatnot in in your program decided that they were going to do that and sort of you know offer you guys the opportunity but more so like say hey we're going to pay for you to go do this and to get that cscs because that was actually a decision that i was trying to make when i was going into physical therapy school you know mm -hmm. i took the undergrad that you know trained me with the knowledge necessary to probably go study for and take and pass that cscs exam yeah but for whatever reason probably just a couple hundred dollars of finances at the time i decided not to do it mm -hmm. and um and then when I got through PT school and got out, that was still a decision that I was trying to decide like, huh, do I want to go do this? Should I go do this? And I talked with a couple other PTs. And, and at that point in time, you know, I never really envisioned that I would leave the practice that I was with. I thought I was sure. just going to stay in my first first uh, place of employment forever and, you know, keep changing roles. And um, I didn't, I was struggling to see how having the CSCS would really change or make an impact yeah. so i was like well yeah. why don't i just get the knowledge and maintain the knowledge but i don't need this certification i don't need these letters yeah. um and that's kind of where i feel like i'm at now I, I you know i don't know that there's necessarily anything that i can't do because i don't have the cscs while having the you know the degree that i have however i agree with you 100 percent that i think as a whole one of the things that happens in the world of physical therapy is underloading and underutilizing exercise progressions. And I've met many trainers in my life, coaches, trainers, uh, whatever term you want to use, that are far better at prescribing movement and prescribing load intentionally that uh, that really can create, you know, create changes. Well, now, one thing I'll say that it feels like in the world of physical therapy is, is we are really good at regressing exercises mm -hmm. and we're really good at scaling things back and finding things that people can do comfortably but then once we hit that point where it's like okay now they need to move on from those things maybe they're out of pain now what do we do right and, yeah. I, and I think that's where sometimes people get stuck but um okay hey, so let me just let me just yeah, chime yeah. in on that real quick Andrew in Absolutely. that I I don't totally blame the physical therapy world for that mm -hmm. part of that is uh is insurance driven Oh sure, and yeah. and when we have the, when when insurance then says okay we got you back to walking, well the patient was running before right yeah. so and that's and we want to get them back to their function at least what they were before at physio room as we go through our three step process right of mm -hmm. reset restore reload. Unfortunately, in the in the insurance based world, they get you to reset. They might get you to restore, and then insurance says okay we're done we're done right yeah and in in our in our playground it's like no uh, yeah we want to reload you and get you beyond We're yeah i think that's a good point that you make there that um you know it's not necessarily the provider's fault or the um you know the profession's fault or anything like that it's a it's a whole system thing yeah and right. um you know sometimes trying to trying to play within the lines of that system impacts how clients get cared for and sure. um, and what we're able to do with them unfortunately Okay, so so that's talking about load. Uh, when was it, Nate, that you remember getting like certified in training in dry needling for the first time? Well, hopefully this uh, this story isn't too long. I uh, <laughs> I I had a buddy that got trained in dry needling in 2012, and uh, he came to my office, and I said, "Hey, I'm having some hip gluteal issues." He's like, "Hey, let me let me try this new thing that I learned." Mm -hmm. And he took some long needles, he put them in my gluteal area, and then he did this kind of in and out fast technique, a pistoning technique. Yeah. 
he got and and honestly it just it hurt while he was doing it and then he got done and i was sore for a long time and i remember these words have come out of my mouth i said i am never going to do that to a patient mm -hmm. and uh in the military we get about it depends on the unit you're in but you'll get a little bit of money each year for your continuing education purposes yeah. and uh unfortunately in about 2013 we were going through some budget cuts and my boss came up to me and said hey this year for continuing education you get 100 bucks i'm like ooh wow 100 dollars thanks don't spend it all in one place <laughs> don't man. spend it all in one place so he came up to me a couple of days later and he said hey i have a friend that teaches dry needling for this company but he said he could do kind of a an off circuit course for us if we all pool our hundred bucks, we'll get 500 bucks together and we'll buy his plane ticket and he'll just, he'll come and teach us the course for a couple of mm. days. I'm telling you, Andrew, that is the only way that you would have got me into a needling course is oh, wow. uh, that kind of setup, you know? Anyway, he came, he, uh, he taught us and he did, he taught us muscle specific yep. pistoning technique, muscle by muscle throughout the body. And, uh, and in the physical therapy world, we've kind of done it to ourselves in that we've called it muscle or trigger point dry needling, right? Yeah. So that means it's muscle specific. But when you look throughout the literature, it is not, <laughs> it's not just muscle. In fact, muscle is probably third or fourth on the list of what you're treating. I took my second course after, after well, after I did that, I mean, I did apply that technique and I applied it in my military practice, but I was also running a, a cash pay uh, physical therapy practice on nights and weekends out of our local CrossFit gym. Mm -hmm. And I started applying this modality there. And uh, those results were actually pretty good, even though I was using that that uh, very aggressive technique. Yeah. Um, so I decided I should take another course. In 2014, I took another one from Dr. Ma. Uh, it was his course, but it was actually taught by Dr. Sue Falsoni, who was if you don't know, she was the first head female athletic trainer in Major League Baseball. And uh, she's also a physical therapist. And she was trained by Dr. Ma. She came out and taught a course. And that's where I started to learn that we should treat the region, not just the muscle that we're, uh, that we're trying to address, right? And then in 2016, when uh, the Special Forces Unit put me in fellowship training, that's when I was introduced to the American Academy of Manipulative Therapy. And, you know, I really appreciate those first two courses that I had. They were both very good. Uh, and they did change my practice. But I'll tell you, American Academy of Manipulative Therapy, that, like I said, that, that has been the most effective thing or mm. ha had the most effect on my career. Yeah, because they really meld the art and the science of therapy. Yeah, and went with needling, they blew the blinders off for me and said, "Look, this is what's happening." They took me down to the microscopic level of what's happening when we stick a needle in the body, and we we could see what was happening, the mechanisms that was happening uh, with that the application of a needle in tissue. And it's well, let's. And just treating a muscle well since you since you brought that up i'd love to expand yeah. on that just a little bit and um you know maybe we do this in kind of a twofold manner um you know explain it at a high level and then maybe bring it down a notch or two sure. yeah. because like you just have have kind of gone through there's different ways that you can apply dry needling right as the practitioner and i'm assuming people that are listening to this podcast have probably experienced different things 
I've experienced different ways of being being needled as a as kind of the client. I've done different ways of doing the dry needling as the provider. And um, and just like you sort of said, like the way that I learned initially in 2016 was not the the trigger point pistoning kind of technique. Yeah. And I've never really had that, you know, that's never been my like first go-to or preference. Right. Um, but most of the physical therapists that I have come in contact with, that is how they were trained. And that is how they were trained. Yep. So, okay. So, so whether you're, you know, you're dry needling the muscle, you're dry needling the trigger point, maybe you're pistoning or not, or you're treating the region, like you mentioned, first of all, like what the heck is dry needling? And two, <laughs> what is happening when, when you insert the needle into the skin, into the tissue, like what kind of cascade of effects is that causing that maybe helps produce some of these results that clients and providers see? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I, I typically I explain this to physical therapists, but I, I also explain this to patients. And I think probably in our setting, you and I talking right now and our, given our audience, we should probably just talk about it as if we're talking to a patient. I think so. Yeah, sounds great. Um, so when, uh, when, first of all, the tool that we use, it is an acupuncture needle. Mm-hmm. Some, some are branded as dry needles, but the, by and large, they're an acupuncture needle. Now, acu means skin. Puncture means pierce. So we are piercing the skin when we practice this modality. And depending on what state you're in, physical therapists are allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the state of Colorado, we were one of the first states that you could dry needle in. So we do that. Um, now, I will not say at, at all that I do acupuncture. Right. And the main reason why is because, and, and please don't let me oversimplify acupuncture, but I am not trying to balance someone's chi, trying to balance the yin and the yang in their body and move chi along meridians in the, in the, according to an acupuncture map of the body. Right. And I'm not disparaging that in any way. I have friends and, and family members that have benefited from that kind of treatment. Yep. But for what I know and what I do, I'm, I'm approaching things from a neuromusculoskeletal approach, a Western medicine approach and uh, not, not an Eastern medicine approach that is typically uh, acupuncture. Yeah. So just two, it's, it's the same tool. It's just two different approaches, right? So when I apply a needle to somebody's body, I'm trying to affect the anatomical tissues of the body. And again, I'm not trying to balance their yin and their yang or move chi along their body. So what does needling do when we stick a needle in the body? And really, there's a great paper on this for any of you folks uh, that are scientifically minded. <laughs> you want to read a paper from 2016 by my good friend, uh, Raymond Butts. He, he calls it seven years of his life that he'll never get back. Be- or Not seven years, I'm sorry, seven months. Seven months of his life that he'll never get back because he spent a lot of time scouring the literature to, to, at every paper, looking at the mechanisms of what happens when we stick a needle in the body. And he mm-hmm. wrote it up and we've got that guide. We have the paper. So you don't have to go look up all that stuff yourself. Raymond's already done it, right? Um, and his paper describes probably about six or seven specific things that happen when you stick a needle in the body. But for what I typically use it for, I boil it down to three things, okay? Number one is we're going to introduce inflammation on purpose. 
And I know that seems a little bit counterintuitive, but for somebody that has a subacute injury or a chronic injury, let's say chronic low back pain, they're, just, they're simply not getting through the three-step process of what, when, how the body responds to an injury, a inflammation, then it goes through a repair, and then it goes through a remodel. That's what happens when you sprain your ankle. That's what happens when you injure your shoulder. That's what happens when you have neck pain. It should be, you know, most people are getting better after their injuries after about, I don't know, five or six weeks, maybe even less, you know, mm -hmm. and it's because they went through appropriately inflammation, repair, remodel. In those chronic type injuries, they're stuck in this kind of inflammation repair phase and they're not getting over the hump. So all we're doing at physio room is we're sticking a needle in that same area that they have the pain, that they have the injury. We're reintroducing inflammation. It's very focal, it's very little, but we're reintroducing it now as we apply our stretch and our exercise and our restore, reset and restore program. We, uh, we hopefully get them over that hump of yeah. getting them from inflammation to repair to their model phase. So that's very simply one of the first things that happens when we stick a needle in the body. Uh, number two is we reset the muscle, right? It's kind of a long explanation. And for anybody that's interested, I'd be delighted to you know tell you the whole thing. But the bottom line is this. You have a nerve coming down to the muscle, and that nerve tells the muscle to contract. In a muscle that is damaged, maybe it's in a hypoxic environment or a, an acidic environment, once it contracts, it doesn't go back to its resting length. And there's some several chemical processes that we could discuss that include, you know, the, uh, the uh, acetylcholine and the calcium and the potassium and all that stuff. Um, but bottom line is it contracts and doesn't let go. Mm -hmm. And that's what forms kind of what we call a trigger point in the muscle. This has been observed. When we stick a, a, a needle in a muscle group, it will restore its resting length. It just kind of relaxes. Yeah. And again, there's some chemical processes that we think that are happening for that to cause that. Particularly, it clears out acetylcholine between the nerve and the muscle. But that's, we, we, it does happen. And I've actually observed it in clinic right yeah. patient comes in taut muscle stick a needle in there it relaxes totally now there's a whole bunch of research that goes that is beyond that and some of it even suggests that that doesn't have anything to do with the muscle but rather the connective tissue around the muscle mm -hmm. but it's fine patients don't care about why they just care about the result totally. and so we can get a muscle to calm down that way mm -hmm. yeah lastly though lastly and probably the most important is we can affect the body's ability for pain control. And the way that's done is with the body's own opioids. Now, we've heard of this opioid epidemic where we're being prescribed too many opioids, people easily get addicted to opioids, that they're an effective drug for pain. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. they have way too many side effects. Yeah. Now, when we take an acupuncture needle and we stick it in the body, there are these little cells within the body called fibroblasts. And we can get, if we, if we manipulate the needle appropriately, we can get those fibroblasts to stretch out. Those release a little drug called anandamide. Anandamide is the genetic code to produce opioids and the body produces its own opioids. It's not that far off from when somebody gets a massage. You get the, the, 
the tissues are pushed and stretched, and that actually affects those little fibroblasts to release a little bit of anandamide, and that's why you feel good. Yeah. But with needling, we're maximizing the amount of anandamide that's released from those fibroblasts. It's much more than what a massage can do. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, focal. It's very drastic. And we get a, a maximum release of anandamide to produce opioids. So really, when I needle somebody, it's one of three reasons. Either I'm trying to induce the inflammation or I'm trying to reset the muscle yep. or I'm trying to release some uh, some anandamide to produce opioids so that they get a pain relief effect. Um, one other that I pr- should probably throw in there, that there have been some brain scan studies while people have been uh, needled and it shows increased activity in a little area of their brain called the periaqueductal gray. And that controls pain. Let's say you have pain in your elbow. It actually stimulates a portion in your brain that says, that they call them descending pain pathways. Those descending pain pathways say, hey, hey, you're not feeling this pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it helps uh, control pain that way. Now, are we interested in covering up pain? Not at all. Right. But our nervous system gets very good at feeling pain, especially if you've been feeling it for a long time. All we're doing is resetting that. And saying, mm-hmm. hey, you're not feeling this quite as much as you thought you were. And uh, it helps, helps quite a bit, actually. So that's, yeah. uh, that's the, those are the three things primarily that are happening. And I, I think that explanation was great. And, and I agree with you, generally speaking, a lot of patients don't, they don't necessarily care to know all of the science, but yeah. they, wanna, they want, obviously, their, their symptoms to feel better so that they can perform and function better. But I think uh, more so at Physio Room compared to where I worked in the past, I do have clients ask me much more like, what's yep. happening? Like, mm-hmm. why does this work? I, you know, I, I've had dry needling before, or I haven't had, had dry needling before. What exactly is going on? Yep. And um, you're, you're going through that explanation just kind of took me back to residency because I feel like I, like I remember I had to basically be able to explain all that stuff like yeah. like you just said for part of my yeah. residency including the ascending and descending neurological pathways and whatnot that was a huge part of it um yeah. and i think the things that you mentioned you know reintroducing that intentional inflammatory response to try to promote yeah. a healing response um that neuromuscular kind of reset to you know change things change the tone the guarding whatnot of the muscle potentially through some of those chemical processes that are triggered by doing that and try to produce this pain relief effect from the body are probably three of the main things that I explain to clients too, when, when they ask me that. And then you already kind of went down the acupuncture compared to dry needling route just a little bit. That's probably also one of the most common questions that I get from people is, Mm. okay, we're going to dry needle my, you know, my calf or my shoulder or whatever. Is that the same as acupuncture? And I'm like, well, the needles are the same, but Mm -hmm. let's, let's sort of briefly talk about the difference and you know, I'm not an acupuncturist, but this is my understanding. And I have had acupuncture a few times and this was my experience. And then this is, this is the dry needling experience. So, so no, I thought that explanation was awesome. Hey guys, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room here. Thanks again for tuning in to listen to us on the code. Really appreciate your time. And for that, I want to share a special offer from Physio Room extended to you guys. So if you want to have an opportunity to work with us at Physio Room for any fitness, 
performance rehab, pain relief, whatever that might be. When you reach out to us to schedule your appointment in person or virtual, we're going to offer you 20% off for being a code listener. So just be sure to mention that you heard about it on the podcast and we will make sure to extend that offer to you. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much, guys. One question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, actually, I guess I have a few, but I actually was doing uh, a little bit of dry needling on myself this past weekend, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, Nate and I were just talking off the air about how I've been having some hip pain. And uh, so I decided I was going to dry needle some of the muscles kind of superficially there around my hip. And I was sitting, uh, my wife was was hanging out with me in the living room. I was sitting down, you know, on the floor, but with my back, like supported up against our island countertop. I had my leg kind of supported by a pillow so I could keep things kind of relaxed. And I was dry needling some of the muscles around my, around my hip. And um, for any of you that, you know, that know much about the hip, one of the muscles that I decided to needle was called my TFL. It sits right there by like kind of where your pocket is and um, your IT band comes down the side of your leg kind of off of that region. And um, I needled that. I needled a little bit of the very upper proximal part of my quad. And um, one of the things that I noticed is because I was in a seated position, Nate, and a lot of mm. times when we dry needle clients in the office, they're lying down, whether they're sure. they're lying on their stomach in a prone position or face up in a supine position, sideline, whatever, but they're lying down typically. So I do the needling. I do a little electrical stimulation in addition to that. And I let those needles sit in there for multiple minutes. And then I decided to take them out. And right around the time when I was turning off the East stem, deciding I was going to take these needles out, I started to feel this very large entire body kind of like nervous system effect, right? I started Down getting regulation. Little, yeah, totally. I started getting a little lightheaded. Mm -hmm. I'm typically someone who, you know, my palms and my feet will get kind of clammy while doing dry needling. But I was having that effect on my whole body, not just my hands yeah. and my feet. Yeah, sure. And um yeah. So what I wanted to ask you is sometimes we see that effect with clients. Sometimes I feel that with myself, but not always. Mm -hmm. And this was quite frankly, the most significant of that kind of nervous system effect that I've had. Yeah. And, um, you know, why, why does something like that happen? Um, you know, cause that's sometimes I explain to patients, you know, you may feel light, little lightheaded. You may feel a little kind of like, you know, overwhelming kind of nervous system effect. Cause this is affecting your whole body, even though we're needling this one area. Um, sure. But sort of just go into that for just just a moment there. Like what what kind of can cause that? Does that mean anything? Yeah, I mean, quite simply, you know, it's a down regulation of yeah. the nervous system. And uh, I, I had uh, a lot of patients in Florida with this special forces group. You got to understand these guys are training hard all the time, not just working and not just working out. They're training yeah. their craft right all the time they they don't sleep a lot sometimes <laughs> and uh when we could bring them in even though it, was, it might have only been 15 or 20 minutes bring them into the clinic help them out with a long-term injury that they've had throw some and and you know we would do some education some exercise maybe some manual therapy but then we'd also do a, a dry needling treatment those guys would knock i mean they would rack out for the whole 10 or 20 minutes of treatment. It's one of the best naps that they've had in a long time. Yeah. So remember we talked about, it's not only descending pain pathways that we're affecting in the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. We're down-regulating the entire nervous system. Yeah. And uh, 
and that and dry needling is not the only thing that that happens with. I mean, you may have heard of patients that uh, I know. Massage every massage therapist will tell you, "Wow, this patient just ended up sobbing on my table, right? Yeah. <laughs> I gave yeah, him yeah, a regular yeah. massage." You know, I mean, the same the same kind of thing is happening there, and uh, and I've I, you know, I have had patients crying on my table after a needling treatment. It wasn't because yeah. it hurt; it was because uh, it, it affected their nervous system like it did. A complete release of tension of stress. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that can and does happen. It sounds like it happened to you a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, that kind of process in, in general, that whole nervous system effect, I've had numerous clients fall asleep while they're lying on the table. Cause I tend to be somebody that I leave the needles in for several minutes. I don't just like, you know, pissed in the spot and then take the needle yeah. out right away. Yeah. So they're, they're lying there and, um, you know, I've had many people fall asleep. I had in, in my first dry needling course, actually, one of the first things that I remember we had to do was um, to kind of make sure that we were brave enough to do the dry needling, like to actually insert the needle. The very first person we inserted a needle on was ourselves. Sure. And uh, we're yep. sitting at the table. We just needled our, you know, our forearm muscles uh, just with one needle. And um, one of my residency um, or dry needling course, excuse me, classmates, he actually fainted during that. Yeah. During that procedure, he started to feel a little lightheaded and he just decided he needed to put his head down. And, um, you know, he just, he waited there for several minutes and, uh, and everything was totally fine. But it's just one of those examples of, you know, that down regulation that you're, that you're talking about and the effect yeah. that it can have on the entire system. Yeah. And I don't want to scare patients away with that either. I'm, I have had, uh, actually, I haven't had patients faint before. I know, I know colleagues that have. Um, I have had students when we're teaching needling, I've had that happen before. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. When I, when I bring a patient in, we're going to needle them. Uh, I explain it to them that I believe it's part of their plan of care. They are in control the entire time. I've had patients tell me before saying, I don't want to do that. Okay. Let's figure out something else for you, you know? Yeah. Or a patient that might be hesitant, but they do want to try it. Tell them, look, I'll, I'll go one at a time. I'm going to insert each needle. Most of them you're probably not even going to feel it. If you do, it's going to be very tolerable. Yeah. Nothing should be downright painful. If it is, I just pull it out and we're done. It's yeah. just, it's easy. And a majority of patients are are okay with that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you totally. And by me saying that, you know, telling that story, I too, yeah. I'm not trying to scare anybody. In fact, I actually think it's, you know, to me with my science, you know, scientific brain, it actually makes me like kind of want to do dry needling more knowing that mm -hmm. it has this effect on the whole body and not just yep. on this one spot, because I'll tell you, even though I was pretty uncomfortable for about 60 or 120 seconds when I was having that, um, uh, like down regulation experience this past weekend, the rest of the day, I felt much better. And yeah. it was very interesting. Like the pain that I was experiencing changed totally. I still had some sensation, but it was a very different sensation. It was very less localized, less sharp, um, and it was more of just like a global kind of like I felt and was aware of my hip, but it wasn't like hurting yeah. as much. Yeah. And, um, so that, that was definitely something. And just like you said, with, you know, with clients in the office, I tend to find that most people, when we, uh, you know, when we offer up the opportunity or the recommendation that, Hey, I think we should do dry needling in this circumstance. Um, they're one, they're totally in control. And two, you know, we wouldn't be recommending it if we didn't think it would be beneficial for them. Sure. And that's what, that's yeah. kind of the reaction that I have from a lot of clients is they say, 
well, if you think it's going to help, then let's do it. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're the doctor, right? You're like, I'm coming yeah. <laughs> to you with this problem. Um, but, um, but you're totally right. They're in control the whole time. And so often when I have somebody who is, uh, you know, afraid or fearful of doing dry needling because they're unsure of what to expect, the anxiety or, or the, the building it up in their mind really ends up being worse than what they actually feel when we do the dry needling. I've had yeah. so many people who are hesitant to do it. Not that I talk them into it, but I kind of talk them down from like a, it's, you know, it's not going to be that bad. And if it yeah. is, we'll be done in, you know, 30 seconds. But then we do it and they say every time, ah, that wasn't so bad. We can, do, <laughs> we can do that again in the future, especially if they notice that it helps. Um, but, you know, the funniest thing I have noticed, uh, it seems to be a trend. Sometimes the people that are the most fearful in the office with me who uh, don't want to do dry needling are just loaded with tattoos, right? They have a sleeve <laughs> and they yeah, have a right. big back back tattoo or a shoulder tattoo or whatever. And, um, you know, I have, I'm not sure about you, but I have one tattoo and the discomfort from that is significantly more to me than, than doing a session of dry needling. Yeah, no tattoos here. I have uh, been regularly treated myself with uh, dry needling. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, and and uh, I'll just be honest with you. I I don't love it. Yeah, but I still do it because I know what the effects are and how I feel after I'm done. Totally. <laughs> I uh, uh, maybe I should tell you about this. I I. I experienced a little bit of low back pain myself, have mm -hmm. some, what we call a radiculopathy with some symptoms that traveled down my buttock, down my leg and down into my foot on the left side. Yeah. I, I largely can control them myself or have a colleague help me out with some manual therapy or, or that type of thing. But it's been probably, what was it? It was in 2017. I, I had a pretty significant episode where it was, uh, it was kind of this burning sensation down my leg and, uh, and even, a feeling of fire in my foot. Yeah. Um, I had some well-trained colleagues in uh, the realm of, of McKenzie, mm -hmm. uh, mechanical diagnosis and treatment. They call it MDT. And uh, they, they gave me a prescription of what I should do. And, uh, and I said, look, my first inkling is to just go get dry needled. But I want to try what these guys are suggesting. Yeah. Um, because there is some decent evidence behind MDT. So I did it and I said, I'm going to do MDT for a week. And uh, I, I made it for three days. <laughs> and at the end of three days, I just, I hadn't slept very well. I, uh, I was kind of dragging a foot in the clinic. I walked in the clinic one day and one of my colleagues, who's a fantastic pra practitioner, she said, uh, lots of experience, 20 years of experience. She, she said, why are you limping? Dude, I was barely limping, but a trained therapist can tell, right? Totally. She's like, why are you limping? And uh, I told her. And she said, well, let me finish up my patients for today. She had a full, t full schedule of like 15 patients. And she said, let me see my patients and then I'll, and I'll see you. Mm -hmm. So she evaluated me real quick. She's like, why haven't we needled you already? I said, oh, I was trying this MDT thing. She's like, well, I know MDT. And she's like, no, let's just, we can keep doing that. That's fine. Let's do this. Yeah. And uh, all she did, she just stuck two little needles in my back, two in my foot. She connected some E-stem from one uh, from one at the back to one in the foot and then another mm -hmm. one at the back to the other one in the foot. So she ran that stem. It was at 100 Hertz. So just kind of like this buzzing feeling down my leg for uh, 20 minutes. And she's like, don't move, just, you know, play on your phone or whatever. Yep. Dude, I got up from that 
50% improvement from the very beginning. Nice. Uh, by the time I went to bed at night, 75% improved. By the time I woke up, it was pretty much back to its normal, you know, 5% Just kind of there, kind yeah. of there right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and hey, I have had patients that have benefited greatly from an MDT approach. Mm -hmm. I have colleagues that are very successful at doing that. And that should be part of my toolkit. It is. I Like I said, I have patients that I do with them. But I am not going to forgo or wait two or three days. Again, I'm just going to yeah. get it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, it has that kind of effect. And not only on myself, it happens for a lot of patients. Yeah. Now, it's pretty fair to say that the, and the evidence shows this, six to eight treatments is pretty normal for uh, to get that through that reset and in the, into the restore kind of phase. Mm -hmm. right? But I do have on occasion patients where uh, one treatment and they're done. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. One in particular is a guy that came in with a temporomandibular disorder. Um, he was actually a friend of mine and I was, this was right at a time. It was the week I was moving from Georgia to Florida and uh, he's older than me by about 15 years. But we were on this service organization together and, and he mentioned his jaw pain. I said, hey, you should come and see me before I leave. So he did. And uh, I needled both sides of his jaw and he got up. He said, yeah, that feels that feels a little bit better. And then I moved and we're still friends on Facebook. Uh, last a couple months ago, I posted some pictures of a class that I taught, including that protocol for the jaw. Yeah. And he messaged me underneath it. He's like, Hey, haven't had a job problem since you needed my job <laughs> awesome. six years ago. Right. Yeah. So uh, he was a, he was a one and done kind of guy. Right. But uh, those you'll, you'll see those two, but for most people, it's probably fair to say, you know, six to eight treatments that, uh, that they'll progressively get that under control. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've had those similar types of things too, where, you know, some clients see success over the course of several treatments. Some see a huge change in one, one treatment. Um, you know, I'm curious with your teaching, right? Teaching continuing education courses on dry needling, spinal manipulation, teaching in the university setting, specifically on the dry needling side of things. What are some of like the most common questions that you get from some of your students, from some of the, you know, the PTs that are taking these, these continuing ed courses about dry needling? What are the most common questions that you end up answering, you think? Um, so a very common one, I mean, the very first one is, uh, Hey, when should I use this? Mm -hmm. And they're almost always saying, Hey, can I use this for a rotator cuff tear? Yeah. Hey, can I use this for this? They start listing all these diagnoses. Yep. But when I teach a course, the very first thing I do is teach them those three things that I said needling does. Right? Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm that punk teacher that just turns the question on them. Says, yeah. Well, what is, what is it you're trying to do? Totally. Because in the case of a, a rotator cuff tear, if it's not significant enough that you need a repair, a surgical repair, but there is a minor tear there, and that usually is somewhere along, you know, somewhere around 25 to 50% thickness tear. If we're under 50% thickness tear, then we should probably should wait on the surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And in that case, well, what am I trying to do there? Because is, uh, if, if I induce some inflammation, is that a good idea? Actually. Yeah, right. I want to because obviously that tear is not getting through this repair and remodel phase. So I stick a needle in there. I'm going to cause some inflammation. Now we're going to do some stretch and exercise, gentle in the beginning, more uh, aggressive as we progress, and uh, 
And hopefully, and I, I know a scientific word, hopefully, but hopefully we can get that that inflammation to that area to progress to a yeah. repair, progress to a remodel. So that's what I'm trying to do there. But in the case of something else, I don't know, let's say, uh, uh, I don't give me a diagnosis, some neck pain, right? Yep. Just general neck pain. Well, it's probably, it's either due to stenosis or spondylosis so to arthritis, right? Am I going, do I want to induce inflammation in arthritis? No. Right. <laughs> However, high correlation between arthritis and trigger points. So do mm -hmm. I want to try to treat trigger points there? Yes. Or probably even more of an effect. Am I trying to reduce the amount of pain that they're feeling with that release of their own opioids? Yeah. That's probably what I'm trying to do there. So uh, that question that I get from students of how, what do I use this for? I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? Yeah. And, uh, and then apply it that way. Yeah, and I, I um, love that too, though, because, yeah. you know, the, you mentioned before, uh, I forget what, what you said, if it, what program it was, I think it was the um, manual manipulative program that you went to blending the art and the science of PT. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the American know, Academy of Manipulative Therapy. American Academy of Manipulative Therapy. AAMT, yep. Um, you know, because that's that's ultimately like what we're trying to do. One thing then when I used to mentor, um, you know, I've had a lot of uh, students come in the clinic with me over my career for uh, clinical rotations. Yeah. And, you know, they ask a lot of que questions, which is awesome. And when I used to talk with therapists that we were hiring um, in my previous role, or, or even in a current role, um, or with students, one of the things I always ask them when they're deciding what to have a client do, right? Whether it's an exercise, whether it's what they're going to do, if they're going to manipulate their back or try to eat sure. or whatever, is yeah. it's always like, you know, what for what? Like, what's your purpose or what's your intention of this exercise for this patient? Because yeah. hopefully you're not just like, oh, every patient with low back pain comes in and they get this sheet of exercises that's not exactly. how we should be treating patients right exactly you know, there needs yep. to be a, a clinical rationale there needs to be some sort of decision making process that takes place so i think you turning that around and saying like well what exactly are you trying what are we trying to accomplish here yep is a great question because there needs to be that thought process we're not just dry needling for the sake of dry needling right we're we're doing x treatment for hoping like you said scientifically we're hoping for a certain potential result and yep. um we're not just doing it just to check a box. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, some other questions that I might get is, uh, hey, how long are these needles supposed to be left in the body? Because my very mm -hmm. first course was like, you know, piston and then pull the needle out. And yep. uh, that's not what the evidence shows us. When we look through the scientific papers on this, uh, really a minimal effect, you need about 10 minutes of the mm. needles left in place. and. Uh, and then there doesn't seem to be that much therapeutic effect after 30 minutes. So it's somewhere in that 10 to 30 minute mark that yeah. is most effective for these things. Um, other questions, you know, what tissues can we affect if we're not just affecting muscle? Mm -hmm. uh, so very common. It, we can affect nerve and the nerve specifically with this modality. I'm not trying to put a needle into the nerve, but we do try to get it near the nerve and, yeah. uh, and that can help. It's, it's, it seems counterintuitive, but initially it causes some inflammation. It very quickly can help resolve inflammation with an anti-inflammatory effect. Yeah. 
uh, so we can affect nerve. Uh, tendon. Again, I don't need to be sticking needles all over inside of tendon, but if I can get them around and near the tendon, maybe the outside fibers of a tendon, mm -hmm. uh, it can have an effect there. Probably one of the more effective places that we can treat is where a tendon inserts on bone mm -hmm. and or a ligament inserts on bone. Um, if we can disrupt that tissue just a little bit, cause a little bit of inflammation there, and then a proper load stretch exercise modalities, then uh, then we can help those areas resolve. I'm thinking particularly, you know, the lateral elbow, uh, tennis elbow or yeah, lateral sure. terrific spot. I, I myself have been treated there for that reason. Um, uh, at the insertion of the uh, tendon, the common extensor tendon, Mm -hmm. into the lateral condyle another place is the plantar fascia right where yeah, the plantar sure. fascia inserts on the heel on the calcaneus uh try to induce some inflammation there and, and get that go in fact i was involved in a uh, randomized controlled trial of over 200 subjects um i'm published in that area uh treating plantar fasciitis with this modality so, mm. love it love it yeah. well in you know kind of some of these places in the body right if one of the goals is is to intentionally try to produce a little bit of inflammation you know the way that i typically explain that to clients is we are trying to facilitate a blood flow effect right We're yeah yeah bring exactly. some blood flow mm -hmm. to the area and some of these areas may not have great blood supply and if we can right. do something to just try to facilitate a little bit more to produce a little bit more of a healing possibility uh that that may be very effective so um no i think i think those are kind of common questions that that i hear too and i remember we were talking last week um with some of the rest of our team team members here uh at physio room that like you know one of the times where we maybe wait with a client to potentially do a little bit of dry needling is in a post-surgical situation right if they sure. have if they had an incision and they have a wound say from a rotator cuff repair or a knee replacement or anything like that you know we want to wait until that wound is healed and sealed uh before we introduce some dry needling even right. though the you know even though the possibility of having any sort of infection risk is extremely small waiting until that wound is closed just helps us bring that down even just a little bit more oh sure yeah um so i when i was at west point in uh, new york i was there for 18 months we worked very closely with the orthopedic surgeons there they would come every week uh They'd be in our clinic and we would see patients with them. Yeah. And that it was very beneficial because they're like, hey, patient, see, I'm sitting here with your physical therapist. Do what they say. <laughs> and that, that was very helpful. Um, but those surgeons were all on board with uh, with dry needling. Yeah. Now, they did want wounds to be closed. But the main the main reason they wanted us to use it was not for inflammation. It wasn't for resetting the muscle. They wanted it for the pain control. And the reason why, because almost all of their patients were cadets and cadets don't get three weeks off after a surgery. They have to go to class like the next day. Well, if they're hopped up on pain meds, they're not getting anything out of class. Totally. And uh, we actually, we did a randomized control trial with this too. Uh, cadets that went through shoulder surgery and half of them went the traditional route of their traditional rehab with traditional pain meds. And the other half went through rehab but they had access to dry needling treatments mm. and they uh, they halved their pain medication usage. Love that. So they uh, they were able to go to class and pay a little bit better attention, right? Totally. It's uh, hyped up on, uh, on pain meds. So <laughs> uh, now 
if you, I, I do not needle a patient post-surgically unless one, their wounds are closed and two, their surgeon agrees with it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I need to have their surgeon on board because uh, I don't want a patient going back to a, a surgeon and saying, hey, they did this cool needling thing with me. And the surgeon's like, what? I just had this surgery done. You know, why are they messing with my surgery? So it needs to be a symbiotic relationship there uh, so that uh, there's no confusion or or, uh, confounding treatments. Yeah. Well, and that's only going to be better for the client and the patient at the end of the day anyways, when their providers are on the same page and communicating. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. But, um, you know, when it can, it always works out in the best interest of the client. Um, you know, it's funny you talking about, you know, sort of the side effects of some of these pain medications, opioids and whatnot. Um, like we were talking off air, I've had multiple orthopedic surgical procedures myself, Yep. most of which, um, you know, I think I actually found out in the hospital, I may have a, um, some sort of an allergic reaction to, um, a medication called Norco, which is kind of like a generic, you know, Vicodin, so to speak. And, um, so the physicians opted to put me on a form of oxycodone. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after I had one of these uh, procedures, I remember I was, um, I should have been, you know, at the point where I was pretty much like, there's no anesthesia and whatnot still like in my system that that's kind of all gone. But I was taking this oxycodone on a very regularly regimented routine. Yeah. And this was maybe like one full or two days after my surgery. And um, I remember having a uh, a conversation several days later with one of my good friends and I was like explaining to him, I forget if this was a text message or a phone call. I was explaining to him kind of like my hip surgery and, and what I had done and whatnot. And then partway through the conversation, he sort of just stops me and says, Andrew, you don't remember talking to me after your surgery, do you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we talked about this like two days ago. We talked about this yesterday. And that medication is so strong, right? I don't even remember conversations that I had in the past, right? It totally just erased that from my memory bank. And, um, you know, that was one of the experiences I had that was like, holy smokes, like, I've only, I use these, like, and I only ever remember going through, you know, a portion of my prescription. I don't think I ever right. finished, finished the full allotment, but yeah. you know, there are people that take these medications every single day, all the time for years, um, the majority of their life. And it, it's crazy to me because of the such strong side effects that I remember experiencing. I couldn't imagine like trying to just like function in my life like that day after exactly. day after day. Exactly. Crazy. Yeah, that's, uh, um, I love needling for one, one of the reasons I love needling is for that, yeah. is that uh, we very, I mean, very few side effects. If, if, uh, if I overdose a patient, it's, the, and over, by overdose, I mean, I put too many needles in or I, I uh, stim them a little, stimulate them a little too much or mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing, then the patient's going to experience some soreness and maybe even some bruising for, you know, three days or so mm-hmm. that, that we call an adverse event. That means sure. we've, we've, oh, I've, I've overdosed them. Right. Yep. So I, I need to be uh, very aware of how many needles I'm putting in them, how deep I'm putting them, what kind of manipulation I'm doing to the needles and how long I leave them in. Those are four yeah. ways that we can dose the needles. So uh, the side effects from needling is, is, is that we're not talking about 
cognitive impairment. Um, and we're not talking about long-term side effects. Not yeah, and that's another really applied applied correctly. It's not even short-term side effects. I mean, they yeah. just aren't. <laughs> that's another question that I get often is, you know, well, what are the side effects going to be? Or, or even if I don't get that question, I volunteer that information yeah, for, for sure. people just so that they they know what to expect. Um, you know, similar to exercise, right? There's side effects yep. to exercise. If you yep. overdo it a little bit on bicep curls, well, your arm is probably going to be sore for somewhere yep. between 24 and 48 hours. Um, but, um, you know, one of the other things that I usually tell people or, or they ask is because they've experienced this with other types of things that puncture the skin, other types of shots or injections, which obviously these needles are significantly different, significantly smaller, thinner monofilament, meaning there's nothing inside of them. Uh, you know, it's not like we're injecting something, hence the term dry needling. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, like, is it going to bleed? Am I going to bleed And honestly, in my experience, a very small percentage of the spots where the needles go in actually have a spot of blood. Um, you know, maybe 10%, 15, 20, I don't know, a pretty small number. Um, and clients are oftentimes surprised by that. But, um, you know, you did mention bruising is a possibility. So. It's, it's, it's a possibility. Like it, it should be, if you're properly trained, it should be rare. Yeah. Right? Um, bleeding it, you are inserting a needle in the skin, so the potential to have a, a drop of blood is is there. Um, but of course, we're, we stand at the ready to kind of clean that up and sure. you know, dispose of things appropriately. Um, it's uh, it's just it really even though we're sticking a needle in the body, it is it is a minimally invasive technique. It totally. really is, and uh, uh, for the most part, it is a safe technique. Yeah. Um, Again, if you're properly trained, so mm -hmm. the uh, the side effects, the risks are extremely low. Yeah, and I think you know, I think I like to think about things in this kind of like risk reward kind of situation. Sure. And in and mm -hmm. in my mind, as either the client or the provider, the the rewards far outweigh the risks. Typically, mm -hmm. with with dry needling, and and of course, you know, we're going to as the provider, we're going to kind of. Um, grade or structure how we do dry needling based on the you know the level of irritability that the client has sure, if, sure, yeah. if they are really flared up maybe we're going to do a less aggressive form of dry needling mm -hmm. if they are really doing pretty good and we're really trying to facilitate this inflammatory response maybe we're going to do a little bit more aggressive form of dry needling on the patient that we think is right in that situation yeah. um you know yeah, i get asked about dosing your dosing yeah totally appropriately yep. mm -hmm. I get asked by clients all the time. Um, I work with a lot of runners or athletes. Can I still go exercise after we do yeah. this? Or can I still yeah. go for a run after we needle my quad or, or whatever? Yeah. And, and the answer is absolutely yes, right? Like, like you said, it's minimally invasive. We're not doing something that's going to prevent you from functioning. Uh, and the cue that I normally give people just so that they don't experience significant side effects is... Yes, I absolutely want you to go move. I don't want you to go sit around the rest of the day right. trying to facilitate this blood flow response. Um, but, you know, just don't make it the most intense or or longest exactly. volume yeah. training session that you've done in recent yeah. memory. Like, yeah. you know, if you've been running five miles a couple of times a week, don't go try to run 15 today. Um, but like, exactly. you know, just do something normal for yourself. And you're probably going to be a little bit more aware of that area, you're going to have a different sensation there. It could be a little sore, but there's no reason you can't go do that. Right. 
the so I did say we're inducing some inflammation. Mm-hmm. We are we are causing some damage. Mm-hmm. Now it is it is is very focal. It's very minimal, but the damage is there. Yeah. So I I simply tell patients, hey, today is not record breaking day, right? right? It's not one. It's not one rep max day. It's okay. uh, it's uh, maybe fifty percent load. It's uh, going for a jog instead of a sprint. It's just it's backing things off. You do need to move. The only way that the inflammatory process works is with movement. It can't work okay. if you're just sitting around. So right. inflame repair remodel that happens with movement. So yeah, let's get out and move. Uh, I typically end my sessions with patients going through their exercise program. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not saying do the exercise, just they review with me what they're going to do for their program at home. And that starts a little bit of movement, yep. you know, totally uh, it works out pretty well. Yeah. I'm with you too. I rarely, you know, it happens, but rarely do I have dry needling be the last thing last that I thing, do with, yeah. that I do with a client for that reason. I usually yeah. want to get a little bit of movement going afterwards. Um, and uh that usually seems to work work really well so um what else nate what are we forgetting before we kind of start the process of kind of winding this down and wrapping this episode up is there anything else that that you tend to talk about pretty commonly with dry needling that we haven't already touched on in in this episode i think we've hit on some really good things i think we gave a very good overview of you know kind of what dry needling is kind of why it why it may work for people um we've kind of explained it at the level of providers as well as hopefully what most clients can understand and um but are we missing something <laughs> uh, i think i would just end with maybe a, a list of conditions that this is really good for and i know i just got through saying hey i just want you to think of what you're trying to do and yeah and then apply it appropriately and it's not just hey this condition i do needling this condition i still want you to think through that process 100 i'll tell you what <clears throat> this for plantar fasciitis it's it's near home run man if anybody has questions about plantar fasciitis please call me and let's talk about it and i'll i'll go over the study with you or i'll send you the study and and you'll you can read it for yourself uh knee osteoarthritis we have a couple of randomized controlled trials in place now for arthritis of the shoulder arthritis of the hip but the one for the knee it's been done and it was done with over 200 subjects and if you're trying to delay a knee surgery you need to start getting the the appropriate intervention for dry needling for your knee Mm. Uh, let's see another good one we mentioned temporomandibular disorder just do it right your your dentist i talked with a dentist yesterday about this uh he is so tired of putting splints in people's mouths to try to treat temporomandibular disorder yeah and there are some that try to do some mobilizations and and uh to do like muscle massage of the pterygoids that are responsible for uh some of your jaw movement yeah guys we can reach that so easily with needles just do it um i've had several people uh write me back from courses saying hey i use this to treat headaches in my patients three treatments and they were done mm-hmm. um what are some other conditions oh scars yeah this, uh, this can be used really well for treating painful or immobile scars mm-hmm. so just just find somebody and just get it done so that's a, a list of conditions that gosh you know tried and true let's just do it oh another one we've got in a, a randomized controlled trial right now is achilles tendinopathy mm-hmm. and another one for uh lateral for yeah. the uh, tennis elbow 
Um, I, I can tell you anecdotally from my own experience for the tennis elbow, just get it done. Don't waste. We're, we're going to do other stuff too. We're going to do some, some uh, eccentric exercises and all of that, but yeah. let's add needling to that too. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point. And, and honestly, a good list, all those things that you just listed off. I feel like I've had success with dry needling yeah. for clients that are dealing with all of those things. Um, really see a huge benefit in that tennis elbow, lateral epicondyle sort of side of things. Um, and then, you know, so many other things, back pain, neck pain, shoulder oh, sure, pain, sure, sure, you yeah. name it, right? I needle a lot of calves on running clients that I work there with. And they all seem to have a positive effect of that. It's 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 really an awesome tool in the toolbox. Like Nate just said, it's not the only thing that we're going to do. And it shouldn't be the only thing that we do. And part of the reason I say that is we will have potential clients a lot of times call the office and say, do you do dry needling? Or I want to get dry needling. Mm -hmm. Though I think that's a very valid and appropriate question to ask. I still would encourage any client to, even if you think dry needling is going to help you, like that should still be part of the clinical decision-making process with the provider that you're going to be working with because it may be appropriate but it might or might not be appropriate today, right? right? Or the next time, or every single time you come in the office, you may not need dry needling. And, um, but it can be an awesome tool. All of our providers, our rehab providers at Physio Room do specialize in dry needling. And we've had, what's cool is we've had a variety of different courses and, um, you know, teaching styles that we've learned through. So, some of us dry needle slightly different than others, but what's awesome about that is we get to kind of blend and mold those things together and talk about what seems to work for each of us. Uh, I can tell you that my dry needling technique has changed over the past several years, and um, I try to just take the best of both worlds from what different people have have uh, talked about and used. So I think this uh, conversation, this episode has been awesome, Nate. I really, really appreciate you you joining me here and talking through dry needling. and. Um, For all of you guys that tuned in here on this episode of The Code, again, really appreciate your time. And if you found something of this valuable to you, if you would like to leave us some comments, please go hop on the review section of whatever podcast platform or website you're using to listen to this. Drop us a review and and maybe ask us some questions about different topics that you would love to hear about so we can get an episode out on those things as well. So we'll catch you guys back here on The Code for another episode in the future. Again, Dr. Nate, enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much for joining me. You bet. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Catch you next time.